The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Man, the offseason is already in rare form. Silly season is in full force. And we got a lot to talk about this week on the show. Comings and goings on the staff. And thought we were done with some things, but maybe not. So we'll get all into it on this week's edition of Longhorn Blitz. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for your support of Longhorn Blitz. We would not be here without you, the listener. A couple of different ways to get this podcast, but the best way is to search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Search it anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button when you see the podcast uh, app drop on your favorite podcast app. When you see the Horns 24-7 podcast feed, click the follow button, and you get every episode of Longhorn Blitz whenever it drops. And if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star review if you're digging what we're doing here at Longhorn Blitz. All right, let me bring in the rest of the team. He's the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you today, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. And a man who is busier than a one-armed paper hanger. You can find him uh, at the On Texas Football YouTube feed. Uh I don't even know what all else you've got going other than on Texas football in this podcast. He's got the show six to 11 on the horn weekday morning. So uh, again, busier than a one-armed paper hanger, but he makes it happen each and every week here on Longhorn Blitz. Where's many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he's our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree whenever that T-ring comes back in. We will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it, as always. Rod, uh, did I have that right? Just uh, Longhorn Blitz on Texas football and the horn? Is yeah. That it? You got, you got uh, any other irons in the fire? Yeah, and uh, shout out to the third Longhorn, uh, another podcast that I've been doing, which is uh, really good with some of the other uh, ex-players. Like, and they're, they're, they're great. Sometimes Derek Johnson is on there. Sometimes Alex Olfer's on there. Uh, hey, you know, yo. Whitaker on there. Uh, yeah, man, Jeremy Hills is on there. I mean, we we it's kind of a random cast of guys because whenever it fits somebody's schedule because uh, yeah. a lot of those guys have busy schedules. So it, it's been really fun. Shout out to my man Nick Shulu who organizes that. So that's uh, one of the other things I've been doing. But, uh, yeah, man, you're right. Got a lot going on. But that's it's good, man. The Longhorn brand right now is a brand that's, you know, demanding a lot of attention. I'll be honest, Rod. I've even caught some of the third and Longhorns content on YouTube. I completely forget. <laughs> You've been a part of that. That's how much stuff you got going on. I lose track of everything you got going on. So, oh, yeah. Uh, shout out to Nick Shuley. Yeah, that is, that is good content. Uh, you know, it's hard. You guys, 
especially you, you know, UX NFL guys, man, y'all schedules, y'all got so much stuff going on. It's hard to get so many guys in the same place at the same time to record, but uh, y'all make it happen. So yeah, definitely. If you want to support Rod, there are multiple ways you could do it. In addition to uh, subscribing to the Longhorn Blitz podcast feed and uh, giving us a five-star review. All right, let's get right into it. Um, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the Nick Saban news, but I do want to give you guys a chance. I, Rod, I know we've got multiple platforms and we both given our thoughts on Nick Saban, um, but I want Matt to get a chance to. Um, it's really weird to think about there's an alternate universe where, you know, things go differently at the end of 2013 and Nick Saban finishes off his run as the greatest college football coach of our lifetimes or maybe all time uh, Yeah, with the Texas Longhorns. But that didn't happen. He finishes it off at Alabama. And for me, there, there's two things that stand out about Nick Saban, and I think you see them with Sark at Texas. One, uh, n- maybe not this with Sark. Maybe this will be – we'll see. It's to be determined with Sark. I don't think there's any, anybody that's done a better job of constantly reinventing themselves the way Nick Saban did. Uh, and I think the second thing that really sticks with me is Nick Saban introduced the NFL-style front office model to college football which when Bama started doing it was really unprecedented. Now everybody's put their own spin on it to where now you have actual people in college football programs with the title of general manager. So Matt Rod, whichever one of you guys wants to take it from here, those are just kind of my two things with Nick Saban, just his ability to reinvent himself. And then that pro personnel front office model that Sark is using right now with Bobby Merritt and J.M. Jones and all the guys in the personnel department at Texas to to make sure you leave no stone unturned in the talent acquisition process. It's good stuff. Um, Matt, I'll let you take it because I want to hear your thoughts about saving too because Jeff's right. We probably I've spoken on saving several times and I, I got a take on it, but I want to hear your thoughts actually. I'm pretty interested to hear. Yeah, no, he's been the guy like since we followed him since the beginning, you know, like it, my first introduction, like I remembered the Michigan State version, but that LSU version and just seeing a guy because you heard the name, you know, in the 90s when he was a part of that Brown staff and stuff. But like it was more of people explaining like almost the folklore, like, no, when this guy shows up, things are going to change. But you really didn't like necessarily get to see it whenever you're observing say Michigan State from afar but seeing what he was able to do in such a tiny time window that like first you had that LSU coaching staff that seemed to be just like of its generation of those early 2000s it was just like your Brock's bombers or whatever you want to call and correlate it to in any cell like the way Popovich just has all these disciples that come from it and then how quickly like you know people sort of joked about the Miami situation and how quickly that fizzled out and in but you knew in college he was a guy that when he's able to implement it the the way he wants to and that's something that not necessarily was able to do the same way at the pro level it was unbelievable to see like them go from losing that first year to Louisiana Monroe to like by the end of the 08 year that team was totally as dominant about as any team in the country like it was right there with Florida and the Tebow teams it was like Texas Oklahoma Alabama and Florida were the final four teams you could almost book it in 08 and 09 and he came out on top, which blew me away because at the time you had Florida flying higher than Florida had ever been in the Urban Meyer. He basically squashed the Urban Meyer and Mac Brown era just in one and a half seasons. And by the time 09 hit, like it just became such a steamroller of college po- football perfection that like, I don't know if it'll ever be matched. It's almost seems because we talk about parody in sports and parody in the NFL, parody in the NBA, parody. I mean, MO, all the way across the board. College football is the one that like it is going to be so hard to be able to get the machine with the modern rules and post, you know, the mid 70s when everything changed for the game. You weren't supposed to be able to see things like this. And we saw demises of schools like Nebraska, but it was like, nope. In the era when it shouldn't be able to do this, he did it better than anybody. And like you said, Jeff, from the model of the the invention of analysts, like I, there weren't analysts allowed. And then like he changed that model and just the nutrition level. Like I remember at the time, the Bragg family, and they were ones that worked and covered Texas. And then Mm -hmm. like, it's like he has a nutritionist that's like at the highest of the sporting world, but it's at Alabama, the same thing with analysts. And then it was like, 
every single year you saw a new coordinator was becoming the next hot thing. It didn't matter defensively or even offensively. And that's whenever, the you know, you talk about staying at the top of his game. He adjusted with it after, like, he had – it took that Manziel season, another one, the mobile quarterback. And, like, even him, he had to adjust and realize that offense had this dynamicism – I can't say the word, but he had to be so dynamic that, like, yeah, my great defense can be beat by a player that wins off schedule. It's like we can need to evolve the way we view our offense and sort of did during that Hurts era, but then was able to hand off the keys to the lanes and to the, you know, Sarks to be able to realize, man, optimal offense may be beating this optimal defense. So he just never stayed the same. He always moved with the times. And then when he realized that the times are changing so fastly, I he basically realized, man, this is a young man's game and I'm getting old. And if I want to do it my way, he said, I, if I want to stay up till 2.30 working and getting up at 6 a.m., I used to be able to do that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to work the same way. And he found the time to get out. Rod, anything anything you want to add? Yeah, I think they should make him the com- commissioner of college football, honestly. They, that's – He'd be, you know, the George Washington, if you will, of the new era mm-hmm. of college football. He's nobody knows the game better. Nobody has achieved more in the game. He's the goat. If they want to go that route and have more of a unified, you know, entity to make these decisions for big time college football in the future of an NIL transfer portal, all these things, right? The calendar, which is all crazy now. They they need to appoint him. <laughs> and honestly, that's a position he might take. He might feel like, you know, is there an, uh, there's a kind of a duty uh, mm-hmm. in it. And I think if you're going to go that route, he'd be great for it. But they're not going to do it. I just – that'd be – if you're going to – like I said, if that's the route they're going, um, like I said, he would be ideal. Um, but I agree with everything you guys said. You guys nailed it. And the only thing I'll add is um, I think also – some other things he did that were kind of groundbreaking that I hadn't heard of before Nick Saban, um, you know, made them more popular uh, or at least made them trendier. Uh, the thing that saved Sark's life, right? The medical evaluations for the coaches. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was something that was close to his heart because of his father uh, passing away in early age. So he made that mandatory for all of his coaches. Sark, you know, credits it with saving his life saved his life no, no telling what how many other countless lives that it saved but it also um you know all those other coaches who came through that factory you know they hopefully in their programs decided to implement something similar yeah. and help mm-hmm. save other lives i'm always noticed this is obviously not about football related or not just football related but you know that's one of the other groundbreaking things he did that'll have a you know a domino effect <laughs> a positive domino effect all throughout other people's lives and also you know college football and you know also something he did that was brilliant in terms of just um being ahead of his time and also you know necessity being the mother of invention you know when he had so much success teams kept poaching his coaches and poaching his coaches as matt mentioned and uh, that's what you expect when he's had unprecedented success and he's got he's on a dynastic run and he knew that he couldn't keep replacing those uh, elite coaches that he was grooming and he was developing. And so it was the Nick Saban coaching car wash is actually a brilliant adapt, you know, uh, adjustment by him or evolution by him to decide to take these coaches who have had these falls from grace, who have been, you know, kind of their 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 stock is, has dropped tremendously. Uh, as a result of, I don't know, whatever it is, bad coaching, you know, being derailed by off-the-field issues, your Lane Kiffins, your, obviously, Steve Sarkeesian's, hell, even throw a Bill O'Brien in that category. I mean, the, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on for the Nick Saban coaching car wash. And he got great value out of that because these still are great coaches. They just have been derailed for one reason or another, whether that's because of on-the-field stuff or off-the-field stuff. The Nick Saban culture can get the best out of them, can keep them on a straight and narrow, can rehabilitate their re, 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 resuscitate right, their coaching skill, and then he gets the best out of them. And they also right, get, get washed clean in the Nick Saban coaching car wash and get a chance at redemption. And that it, it became a thing. It became you know a a process that coaches, whether they 
knew about it or it's something that they talked about that a lot of coaches took part in that when they were at their lowest point, they would go to Nick Saban, give him the value of having a great coach on the staff who probably wasn't making as much money as he, uh, you know, should have been making or had, you know, had a reason to, you know, rehab their image. And they would go to Nick Saban for a couple of years rehab their image, rise through, rise up through his coaching ranks as an analyst, then as a you know assistant coach. Charlie Strong. Yeah, whatever it is. Sorry, did the same thing, right? Start as an analyst first, then came back, and then ultimately go on to you know their their own redemption story. Fascinating that you know that actually, and I think he did it intentionally. I think he was he was upset that coaches kept you know getting poached, and he didn't. There's no way he can keep replacing those quality coaches. And he figured, you know what? No, instead of replacing those quality coaches, I'm going to bring in disgraced uh, coaches who have, you know, had fallen off or had a fall from grace. And they'll give me the coaching acumen and IQ that I need and the coaching knowledge I need. And I'll get it at a discount. But in return, I'll give them a chance at redemption. Yeah, Charlie Strong's there right now. Uh, You know, Rod, to, to your point on that, the, the three guys from the car wash that, that stand out above everybody else. And there's been a lot of guys that have come through that car wash. You know, Mario Cristobal, what the you think people forget, he went through that car wash. And yeah. Kyle, Kyle Flood was a head coach at Rutgers. He went through it with yeah. Saban. Um, but the, the, the three that stand out were Sark, Lane Kiffin, and Mike Loxley. When you look at those three guys before they got to Nick Saban, Mike Loxley's you want you want Mike Loxley's record, and by the way, this is Mike Loxley that's taken Maryland to three straight bowl games. You know Mike Loxley's head coaching record before he got connected with Nick Saban. How about th- three and thirty-one? <laughs> wow, he was one and eleven, one and eleven at New Mexico, and then fired after an zero and four start in twenty eleven. One and five as Maryland's interim head coach. He goes and gets connected with Nick Saban, and now. He's still got a losing record in Maryland this time around. He's 29 and 33. Uh, but again, he's put together three straight winning seasons, won three straight bowl games at Maryland, a place where against your coaching against Tom Herman for 12 games a year, you're not supposed to have winning records and go to bowl games on a consistent basis. So Michael, and then remember, like Lane Kiffin was a train wreck when it ended at USC. And yep. now he's he's got Ole Miss just had their best, one of their best seasons ever under Lane Kiffin. And he's got a role in there. And, you know, we got to mention Sark. I mean, Sark has said it. He's like, I couldn't even get an interview, let alone a job, when Nick Saban threw him a lifeline. And I think that's what makes the everything that happened with Sark so fascinating because, you know, you look at – Rod, you mentioned the, you know, the heart surgery. I, I think that and and just the fact that Nick Saban hired him twice. You know, after mm-hmm. he, he left the first time, he called plays for a national championship game, left to go to the NFL. Nick Saban wanted him back. I think that says a lot about how Nick Saban thinks of Sark. And for Sark to emerge early on in that search as a person of interest. And, you know, I don't, I never heard that it got anywhere close to serious. I don't think anybody really thought Sark was going to leave Texas considering he's at a blue blood already. He's built it up in his image. And, you know, he's got Texas poised to, to be a contender going to the SEC in year one, but the fact that Sark was able to, you know, he's got it so good at Texas right now, considering how much he feels he owes Nick Saban. I think that says a lot about, you know, I re- I know I'm kind of all over the place, but Rod, I remember when Texas was courting Urban Meyer, by the way, while yeah. Tom Herman was still the head coach, just yeah. those are the cluster things that have been around here for a while. Um, I remember you said specifically, if Urban Meyer doesn't take the Texas job and he coaches again somewhere, that tells you a lot about the state of affairs at Texas. And as it turns out, that told you a lot because Texas wasn't through hitting rock. They hadn't completely hit rock bottom yet. Mm-mm. And I think the fact that Sark, while I don't know that anybody at Bama talked directly to Sark, it was probably all done through Jimmy Sexton, but the fact that he never really seriously entertained leaving and likes what he's got at Texas considering how much he owes Nick Saban. I think that just shows you how much things have flipped in what three years. Yeah. At Texas. And what he's built here. Not just, not just what he's built, but the infrastructure is it's so much more stable now than it was then. I know we're kind of getting mm-hmm. away from Nick Saban and going to Sark, but it's, it's amazing what Sark has been able to do following a, a blueprint that he trusted. And 
in a weird way, Texas fans owe a lot of that to Nick Saban, considering how Sark got his his career, his life turned around working for Nick Saban. Yeah, and I think, you know, Nick Saban himself, and, you know, all those goats, right, they retired around the same time. It was crazy. Bill Belichick, well, I retired, but Bill Belichick parted ways with the Patriots and Pete Carroll, you know, essentially mm-hmm. was fired from the, with the Seahawks. And, yeah. and, and obviously Nick Saban's retirement happened within, what, 36 hours of one another. And, you know, you see all their stories, you know, one thing they have all in common. And it, they, their careers also, you know, were <laughs> intertwined in different ways. We know Nick Saban and Belichick on the same staff with the Browns, like in, in the what, early to mid-90s. Yeah. Um, but Pete Carroll at one point had to reinvent himself because he was thought of as a failed coach. Um, early on his first four seasons, you know, what you're talking about with the, man, I think it was the Jets and the Patriots, I believe, mm-hmm. early on. Career. I mean, he was barely a 500 coach, and people were like, "Well, yeah, he's all right, but he's a he's a failed, you know, coach. He, I don't know if he's going to be a big time uh, coach in the NFL." And he ended up going down to the college level, and then winning national titles, and then going to the NFL, and obviously with the Seahawks and winning a Super Bowl. And it, it, you know, his his legacy is changed forever, right? That's honestly, Pete Carroll could be considered the goat of ghosts, honestly, if he had handed off the ball to Marshawn Lynch or. Who knows, uh, you know, had yeah. Reggie Bush on the field on a, <laughs> on a cruise yep. down, you know, who knows where his legacy would be. But I digress. Um, but Pete Carroll talks about reinventing himself. And, and um, part of what he talks about, I have to try to find the quote, is he talks about having to value uh, different things. Right. He said as a coach early on, as a coach, he was he, he didn't emphasize and prioritize the right things. And it's fascinating to hear him talk about it when, because uh, I believe it was Steve Kerr, and you—I don't know—maybe uh, you probably have heard this too, uh, Matt. Because I know you, uh, you know, obviously into a lot of NBA circles. Steve Kerr said he went to study Pete Carroll um, and his leadership when he was mm-hmm. with the. Um, and he says about he said he did it for like a week or so, and he said around the third day. Uh, here I got to found a quote. He said. Uh, you called me into your office probably around the third day and we sat down and you go, how are you going to coach your team? Kurt said. Um, and I go, so like, what offense are you going to run? And Pete Carroll goes, no, geez, no, that stuff doesn't matter. He said, <laughs> uh, Pete Carroll told him that basically what matters is he, he said, how did it got everything that the players feel when they walk into the gym or onto the field or into your facility every day. It has to be real. The values that are important to you as a coach have to come to life. That's how the culture is defined. You know, Sark's big on culture too, right? Mm-hmm. And Pete Carroll basically said he had to reinvent himself as a coach. And, he, and I'll, I won't go into it in read all the quotes, but he talked about honestly kind of faking enthusiasm and uh, having being really high energy and being positive, and that's why Pete Carroll, as old as he is, seventy two, he's running around, he's <laughs> you know, jumping up and down, he's playing practical jokes, stuff like that, and that is all intentional and deliberate. And he said early on in his coach career, he didn't do that because yeah. he didn't understand that you know the camaraderie and the chemistry of a team, the culture that those things matter just as much as the talent on your roster and just as much as the talent development. And you hear Sark talking about the culture and the culture, right? That's coming from more Pete Carroll, but the reinvention is the key, right? They, at one point they were considered a failed coach. Nick Saban mm-hmm. went to NFL and was considered a failed coach. That experiment failed for him. And he talks about the growth. Nick Saban was not a, he was not a people person. He right. was not about the human element when he was with the Dolphins. There is a story, it's not a good one, and I'm sure he doesn't like talking about it, where a player was having a seizure uh, in the facility, on the on the ground, and they had trainers around him and players around him. Nick Saban walks into the room with a player having a seizure where guys are emotional, and you know they're, some of the guys on the verge of tears because they're, they're really close to this player, and he walks right past him, almost through the group, yeah. and he walks up to his office. And when they asked him later on, why'd you do that? Because I was cold-blooded. And he said, I didn't want to show weakness. I didn't want to show vulnerability. He thought that was what being a coach was. And then yeah. he learned later on, like, no, that's not it at all. The guys, you know, they 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 need you to, to, to show your vulnerability in that sense, that you're part of them, that you're one of them, right? That you care about that guy. They don't, you know, uh, it's a great saying, um, guys don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Yeah. That's they didn't know yeah. how much he got. What he said, they they knew then it was like, oh, this guy don't care about us at all. Yeah. And then there are stories about guys like Dante Culpepper and Zach Thomas wanting to fight Nick Saban, had to be mm-hmm. physically restrained from <laughs> wanting to punch this dude because he wasn't about the human element. And he gets to college, and now you're guys talking about, oh man, I got a lifelong relationship with Nick Saban because you know Nick Saban he cared about me as a person, you know, because this Nick Saban evolved, Nick Saban changed, yeah. uh, and even the yeah. Patriot way for Bill Belichick when he's with the Browns. You know, the 36 and 44, obviously Tom Brady helped being a part of that. And I don't think Belichick has done coaching, but he, he learned the Patriot way was learned by knowing what, knowing the, the wrong steps that were taken and the things that he should have done with the Browns, right? Um, he learned from the mistakes he had with the Browns and then turned that into the Patriot way, right? The right way to do things. Um, and I think so. that's to me was, that is the great, we're talking about Sark too, right? Him being considered like one, oh man, that's a failed experiment as a coach. I, I love the, the stories of the goats because they teach you that failure is not final. Yeah. Um, it is just a step in the process for most people to become a goat. It is only failure if you don't learn from it. Other than that, it's just an experience and a lesson to be learned. Yeah. Two things yep. on that, two things on that real quick. Um, you know, by the way, Mark this on your Longhorn Blitz bingo card. This is where Jeff says something really positive about Jimmy Johnson. So I know that's a popular thing <laughs> on Longhorn Blitz. But uh, in the, fo- the football life, the Jimmy Johnson football life, when he's on his boat with Bill Belichick, they're fishing, which, God, oh, what a football conversation that had to be. Uh, Jimmy said he was talking about when Jason Garrett got the Cowboys job. And he said something effective. Jason Garrett's, again, talking about X's and O's. And Jimmy said, you know, what you really need to focus on is Basically, everybody in that building needs to feel good. He said, he said, you'll be shocked that, you know, that quality control coach that's cramming film when you go pat him on the back or you say something in the lunchroom to that scout team player who didn't even know you knew his name. He said, you'll find out that means a hell of a lot more than those X's and O's. Yep. And, you know, it, it, like you said, Rod, the, the greats figure it out. And um, I don't even remember what the other thing I was going to say was, but that, you know, I think that Good. just kind of, that just kind of reinforces, um, you know, what, what you were saying, uh, about that, Matt, if you had something, go ahead. I'll think about whatever the hell it was I, I was going to say. Cause I just completely it's blanked. No. Yeah. It's exactly when Rod brought up Pete Carroll and the, that transformation really was, he's talked about it whenever he went to USC after those failed years in the NFL and he really had to just, you know, go into the idea that, man, I need to be myself and let my players be themselves. And that's really when his coaching career took that turn and turned for the better. And since you brought up uh, the Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr relationship, they actually started a podcast together during COVID and it was flying coach with Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll, where this relationship, yeah, like if you want to listen back, just Google flying coach with Kerr and Pete Carroll and you can listen to them. It's like a 40, they would do like a half hour or so. I'm not sure how many they did. I just remember when they first did it and they just sort of talk about coaching philosophies and they did that together back in April of 2020. But after Kerr was able to form those things like he's sort of that guy in the NBA and you can see the same style that comes from a guy like Popovich. And, you know, we were talking before the show, like Popovich and Augie Grito, really close friends. And like Augie Grito was one of those guys and with his players who sort of had that mentality. Also a West Coast guy aligned with the thought that we're talking about with Pete Carroll. And that's why a guy like Nick Saban is so surprising because like he sort of isn't that mold, but like he evolved with his own career and like you mentioned the dolphins time and like i I remember his face just everywhere for berating a lineman making him cry there and you know like that's the nick saban thing but then when he gets to bama like i one of the most viral things i remember seeing going around during this past week was him talking about it was in 2014 dj pedway in the second chances and he tells the story of a player that everybody wanted him to boot out at Michigan state. And it, it was Musin Muhammad. And like, he sort of used that as the example and what the person Musin Muhammad's became and the father he is and the great person he is for society. And like, everybody wants me to just boot out this DJ Pedway kid. Cause he's 19 or 20 and screwed up. He's like, I don't want to write somebody off for a lifetime. So yeah, those guys and understanding the personalities and the people that they're working with and like, 
that change that Saban sort of had once he came back to Bama, it really does sort of align more with what we were talking about. Pete Carroll, whenever he left the NFL and got to college and how it took off at USC and then some of the coaches that are the best of this generation where they actually like enjoy you enjoy going to practice and the team enjoys you. And I mean, we talked about it weeks ago, the Mac Brown, the transformation and when it yeah. really all took off for Mac. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys want to hear? I'll, I'll I remember the point I was going to make, but you guys want to hear a good Augie Garrido story that talks about how you evolve and do it successfully. Um, Always. And I just I've got so many Augie stories from my time around him, and I'm so it's in my career doing this. That's one of the things. Whenever it's over, that might be the one thing I'm most thankful for is the time I got to spend around the greatest. Yeah, I go to YouTube baseball. to listen to yeah. Augie. He's the amazing. Gr- the greatest college baseball coach that ever lived, but. Uh, I was covering the Big 12 tournament in 2015 because I thought Texas was going to lose in the tournament. Augie was going to get fired, and they end up winning the whole thing. <laughs> and I think it shows how to how the, how to push the right buttons against players because <clears throat> they played Baylor in the weekend series before that tournament. And Zane Gerwitz, I don't remember if he didn't run out a ground ball or lollygagged to a ball in the outfield, but Augie benched him. Like one of his veteran guys benched him for the rest of the series. And Zane ends up being the, the Big 12 tournament MVP when Texas wins the whole thing. And I'm on my way to the press conference and I hear just this this roar of laughter right when I walk in the door. And it's over. And I'm like, hey, I asked somebody, I said, hey, what was everybody laughing about? They said, well, they couldn't find Zane. And Augie says, just run out in the hall and go find the guy that looks like Ed Sheeran. And, like, for him at his age to be able to make that reference, like, how does he even know that that reference is not only does it fit because Zane Gerwitz is an Ed Sheeran doppelganger, for real, but, like, the fact that Augie's sharp enough to be able to make, like, a pop culture reference at his age that's appropriate, like, how does he even know to do that? Like, it's just the the greats find ways to reinvent themselves and adapt. And the guys, the guys we're talking about, Nobody did it better than them. Yep. No, I agree with that. Not the uh, great story, though. Yeah. Yeah, we'll Ed Sheeran was like 23 years old then. Uh, by the way, Joe, you know what? Kevin Dunn told me this. You guys know what Augie Garrido's favorite TV show was? The no, Voice. What? The Voice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Augie, Augie couldn't get enough of The Voice. So as, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but no, what I was going to say earlier is we talk about reinventing ourselves. It was interesting being at the Sugar Bowl, you know, uh, six days in New Orleans feels like a month. Like I love New Orleans, but like two, three days is about all I can handle. Um, and yeah. I, it's just time to go. But talking to the Washington writers that covered Sark at Washington and hearing their stories of the Sark that they knew, it's like, oh, yeah, does Sark do this? He used to do this at Washington. I'm like not even close what does he does he talk i'm like not even close and they're like well what does sort do i'm like he's boring in the best way possible like i don't hear about the only time we really see sark out in gen pop is when like him and miss l'oreal go to a basketball game like i don't hear about sark tearing up the town or anything that he did at washington or being like this flamboyant over-the-top personality like he's boring in the best way possible so Rod, to your to, to what we were talking about earlier, like the Steve Sarkeesian that was the head coach at Washington, that's not anywhere close to the guy that's the head coach at Texas now. No, no doubt. And you know what? And I if you asked him, you know, today if he could go back and change anything, I don't know if he would because it's it's made him the coach that he is today. And I think right now he is ready to to peak. Yeah. Even though he was a prodigy at one point and it didn't go according to plan, I think now those lessons learned have turned him into um, the coach that he is today. I don't know if he'd be that coach that prioritizes culture and that's about relationships and that's so authentic and, and genuine. I don't know if you get that guy. No, yeah. Neither. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say that when you said the word prodigy right there, it's like this generation that like we have been – afforded this luxury of seeing now Sark's a little bit older than say Tiger and LeBron, not much older, but like where you have these prodigies and you, we actually saw them never struggle and only ramp it up to the top. Now the coaching profession is a little bit different, but like nowadays when you think about like, there also are those Bryce Harpers where there's a guy that you can be that prodigy. That's also super elite, but there's going to be a bump 
in the road. You're going to have not just this linear ascent to the top. And we sort of forget how young, say, a coach in the coaching profession that somebody like Sark is that, man, there's so much time when we started talking about, you know, uh, guys like Carroll or a guy like Saban, you know, they're they're hitting the mid-70s or 72, 73 right now. That means when they were hitting their peak, when their ascent in the coaching realm was in their 50s, same with Mac Brown. And just for context, Shark, pretty young for the profession. He has a long, long way to go. So there's room for that growth. And especially when you consider that he sort of started at that prodigy level, being him and Lane on that super staff under Carroll at USC. So when I really started watching, caring about college football, that I really remember being invested in it, we're talking like 1994, 95, you know, around mm-hmm. there. And up until now, and you think about all the great coaches from then to now, we're in the year 2023, 2024. And between Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno, Tom Osborne, Pete Carroll, uh, Mac, uh, not Mac, but, you know, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, like all the – think of all the great coaches that have, have come into college football and been dominant, won national championships, Phil Fulmer, Lloyd Carr. Since then, did you guys ever think that of this era of college football that Mac Brown and Kirk Ferentz will be the last two coaches standing? <laughs> like Frank Beamer, Bill Snyder, like all their contemporaries are, are retired. Or are yeah. no longer roaming this mortal world, and Mac and Kirk Ferentz are, are still doing it. Even though Kirk Ferentz does not belong in the conversation, it's amazing that he's still doing what that guy's doing. Yeah. Seriously. It's, it's, cra- it's crazy to think that those two guys are still going and everybody else that they competed against. is Like, Bob, Bob Stoops has been retired for what? We're, what, like eight years now? Bob mm-hmm. Stoops has been retired? And His name doesn't even come up anymore in coaching vacancies because I think he sold everybody. I ain't coming back. You know Because he's been coaching in the XFL for like multiple years straight. Like I know, they, they don't even realize he's coaching there. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, want to go sure. coaching. I, he doesn't know when to go back to college coaching because college coaching, the job is getting tougher yeah. with yeah. transfer portal and with NIL. And, you know, right right now that job is tougher. And, and there's no downtime. There's no offseason anymore. For college yeah. football at all, there's no way Bob Sousa come back. He, he's in the XFL because it's a short season. Yeah, eight games. Yeah, he's more of a figurehead there than anything. You ain't yep. got to get on the recruiting trail and stuff like that. That's an easy check for him. That college check, they ain't an easy check no more. No, oh, hell no. Sure. No, him and June Jones are loving the just sitting out there calling plays. Hell, Bob's just saying a few things into the camera, and that's it. Yeah, wait, exactly. wait. That's no fans yeah. calling for your job if you don't win double digit games. It's like nobody gives a damn about what's going on in the XFL. You win. No. Most people don't even know who won the damn league last year. You know what I mean? It's weird. Like you hear like Wade Phillips is kind of like that too, just a football oh, yeah. lifer. You know, and like you hear stories like Mike Sherman coaching high school football somewhere in New England. Like, dude, like some dudes just love, love what they do. And, and uh, it just can't can't get away from the game. It's just that sickness that you always need to be attached to it. Uh, I forgot Wade was coaching the Houston Roughnecks. Right, but, but Rod, I uh, you know, you know, I, I said this to to one of my my uh, to Chris Dukes, who's uh, an editor at CBS. Chris and I've been friends for twenty five years now, and he's a you know he's a big OU fan, and he thought this was hilarious. I was like, you know who Bob Stoops is for OU at this point in time? He's like, who? I was like, Bob Stoops is like the wolf from Pulp Fiction, like. He's not a full-time employee per se, but like you call him when stuff goes really wrong, you call him and you know he's going to be there to clean it up, and then he'll just go back to whatever else he's doing, and then you can call him every now and then when something messes up, and you know he'll be there to fix it. But you know he doesn't want to be just fully involved in, in what you got going on. Bob Stoops is like the wolf for Oklahoma. Yep, you damn right he is. <laughs> I like um, that. Uh, so I don't know who's the wolf for Texas, but <clears throat> uh, we thought. I thought this podcast was going to be a lot of talk about Dwayne Aquina coming back to Texas and we get Rod using a Dwayne doing a Dwayne Aquina impression. And Rod, you still I don't know, you want to throw a coach Aquina impression out there for everybody or you need to save the voice? <laughs> no, nah, I don't know. I'm down about it. So it's bad news. I don't know. Yeah, he yeah. Coming back, if he's coming back, you'd be happy. Yeah. yeah. Um I told you guys I I sent you guys a text when it when uh 
it, it was it was we reported it on Sunday that you know it was expected to happen that Coach Aquino would be coming back. I was like looking forward to the first spring practice when like Malik Muhammad drops an interception and Coach Aquino tells him he's dropping money at a volume loud enough for everybody on, in a vicinity of the practice field to hear. Because I don't know why, but whenever he was at Texas, right, like Coach Aquino wasn't like to me an intimidating coach, but you heard him over everything else going on. It was really weird how like you could always hear Coach Aquino. Um, I always found that fascinating at Mac Brown practices. He's passionate, man. Yeah, yeah. There are certain people like that. My dad's voice is exactly like that. Like I couldn't, I couldn't tell if if he was mad at something or really uh, just happy, excited. But it was always like the same, just the same volume. Um, but no, Dwayne Aquina. It sounds like he's going to be staying at Arizona because Brent Brennan, the new Arizona head coach, has found an on-field position for him. Rod, we were talking about this before. And by the way, Rod and I had not talked about Dwayne Aquino before this podcast, but we were talking about it right before we started recording. And my thing with Dwayne Aquino in an on-field role, you know, he's 67, he'll be 68 in October. I just kind of assumed he didn't want to recruit and kind of like doing the analyst thing at Arizona. But, man, I guess if he's taking an on-field position, I guess he's he's down to – do whatever kind of recruiting his job's going to require of him. Yeah, I mean, I thought maybe he might want a reduced role. That's why he took the analyst role uh, at Arizona initially. Um, and that's, you know, that's not the case, really. I mean, he's he's got, I mean, energy is not the issue for him. I thought maybe he might take a reduced role as an analyst just because he did not want to go, like you said, on the recruiting trail, um, you know, maybe want to spend some more time, you know, having, you know, uh, some family, you know, obligations, things of that nature. That's not the case at all, man. Coach yeah. is going to get it. He's a great resource. Uh, everybody knows that at Texas, I mean, advanced resume uh, <laughs> doesn't need an explanation at all. So I, I thought he could have helped Texas in a lot of different ways. We won't necessarily go deep into it because he's not coming, but um, I thought he could have helped him in a lot of different ways, and that's not going to happen because he's going to be coaching for Arizona in some capacity. Yeah, I know. I was so excited whenever I saw because at first, whenever you had heard, oh, man, Texas is interested in this Arizona assistant, I was like, oh, man, I hope he brings Aquino with him. And then, like, sort of just a pipe dream, just tying two things together that – don't have anything, you know, related to one another. And then it was like, man, this could actually happen. And I was like, man, that would just fit so good with Huff here and Barron coming back and development of all these young DBs after hearing Rod talk about it for so long and then seeing it happen, you know, for the decade after Rod left and just the constant development that you had. Even when Texas was down, you had some really good DBs and those 08, 09 secondaries were so damn good that it would have been it would have been really fun and really good for Texas football. You know, when and I, I Rod, I'll let you have the floor here because I, I just think this is just worth telling. Um, how much of your football knowledge base do you owe to Dwayne Aquina? Because I think I think we forget, you know, your first DBs coach in college was Everett Withers, who's gone on to be a college head coach, coaching the NFL. Uh, and the guys you've been around in, in the pro game, I mean, Mike Shanahan, Raheem Morris, Mike Tomlin. Dick Jerron, it's not it's not like you were coached by uh football imbeciles in your football journey, but I've heard you say it before, man. Dwayne Aquino might have had the biggest impact on just how you see the game and and your understanding of football. You can correct me if I'm wrong or or take it from here, uh, just how what kind of impact Coach Aquino had on you. Uh yeah, and it, you know, it, I think a lot of it is just the uh the timing. Of, of of when Coach Akina became, you know, my coach and really uh, opened up and enlightened me about the the subtle nuances of the game, the details of the game. Uh, I just I hadn't seen football like that before, so I'm sure if you know Mike Tomlin had been my coach or any of those other great coaches you mentioned had been my coach, they could have done it too. But Coach Akina, um, uh, you know, came into like my world as a I think I was a junior when Coach Akina. Uh, became my coach and mm -hmm. it really did um, just open up my eyes to a lot of the the really the knowledge of the game the education of the game the classroom element I became a student of the game after that I, I played football at a really high level um, but playing becoming a student of the game um, and he explained things in such a, a professorial manner if you will that I, I hadn't I hadn't appreciated that element that was a whole nother world, a whole nother side of football that I hadn't, and I, you know, I'd been in 
you know, rooms and Houston Lamar is a great uh, football program. And so we watched film and we, you know, we were on the dry erase board. So I understand basic concepts, but we went past the basic concepts. We went into the matrix with coach Akina and how he broke down the game and every little detail and what you saw. And that's when I became, you know, what I coined the football investigator, right? He, he taught you about the clues and how to pick up on, you know, different uh, tendencies and different, you know, offensive habits and trends. And I, I hadn't really got, he was almost analytical in his breakdown. I, I hadn't gotten into patterns and trends yet of teams. You know, he opened my eyes to that certain formations are going to use uh, hints to certain tendencies and uh, certain concepts that teams like. So that's that's why I say we call and, he, and by the way, he did it for others as well. But I yeah. think for every player that he came into contact with, they needed something different. And that's up to him as an educator, a teacher to understand, OK, what does this player need? And as a coach, what does this player need? You know, what does this player need? Every player needs something different. I needed the uh the education like this to become a student of the game the classroom element of the game i that transformed my physical play that made me a a more confident player and it turned me into a player that you know even though i had good speed i had quicker reaction i could cover guys and i could break on passes better as a defensive back because i i was almost given some cheat codes by Coach Aquino. And, you know, I think he gives all the guys almost the same tools. He always said, I can't tell you how to, you know, cover a certain route. I can't tell you what technique to play. That's not really up to me. What I will do, I'll give you the tools. I'll give you all the necessary resources. And you can go out there and we play a certain coverage and we play, you know, a certain uh, concept it'll be up to you to, to, to determine in that situation, should I flip my hips? Should I open my hips? Should I, you know, um, should I use an inch technique or, uh, or should I use a, a stab technique, right? Should I, um, should I play aggressive press man or should I shadow this guy? Like all these different things um, and tools that are resources that I think he provided to young DBs. And, and as a result of that, you went out there and you played and it went more confidently, you played faster, so I just think he he turned me into a football theorist. It was Coach Akina and his knowledge of the game that allowed me to become a football theorist and some somebody that can examine the game the way I do today. And the way that you've talked about Akina over the years and how he opened your mind and all the ways you just explained, it sort of reminds me, of, it's not apples to apples, but it's always sort of reminded me when I've heard, you know, say, the older coaches talk about like, you know, plays as memorization, but then whenever it was first uh, sort of like a revolutionary thing that like Mike Leach was more of a conceptual based coach and gave that freedom to players because he knows he's going to have you prepared. His job is to put, to prepare you as the coach. So when you get on the field, you can see what you're facing and then be able to problem solve those issues in a live time because he knows he's not out there to where it isn't necessarily play calls, memory. It's more of seeing what you're going up against conceptually, understanding it. And then because he's prepared you, you can solve that problem in every single play basis in just a different way of sort of looking at the game to where you're still being heavily, heavily coached but you aren't sort of robotic in your nature. You're more of a player with that freedom. And when you play with that freedom, you can be more instinctive, which then can make you play fast and all the things all along those lines that really cuts out some of the buffering that if you're trying to identify or remember, instead you're just reading and reacting. Yeah. I, I kind of look at uh, learning football, kind of like learning math. You know, if you just copy down the answers, well, yeah, you can get a good grade on the test, but you're not really learning anything. It's just like if mm -hmm. you memorize plays, yeah, you can know what to do, but you're not really learning anything. And then you so get why? Into, then you get into a situation. Yeah, then you get into a situation where, oh, I'm supposed to pull and kick out this three technique. What if he's lined up in a one shade, or what if they're playing with a four eye? What do I do now? My blocking rules are totally messed up. So I'm so glad football is taught more at a conceptual level now because it helps you actually. You have to as you work through scenarios, you have to, for lack of a better term, kind of like in math, you have to show your work. Like you have to say, okay, 
if this front changes or this coverage changes or uh if 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 the if you know I'm I'm on the side of the field where there's a twin set and the releases are different like you have to be able to figure out how to handle that stuff it's just having the answer yeah, it's not going to play out perfect yeah. for you yeah having the answers to the test is only going to take you so far you got to be able to show your work and figure it out i don't know rod i know you're yeah. you, i know yeah. you're an education major does that make sense no it is it's, 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 that's exactly it right you want to as my man channel says be coachable don't be a robot uh, you teach the guys to also be problem solvers and if they don't understand why they're doing something, they're not going to be able to solve the problems on the field. And Coach Akina turned everybody out there, all the defensive backs in the defensive backfield, into problem solvers. So that when you know we were confronted with, uh, let's say, uh, let's say, like what something the, the, the Texas secondary is struggling with uh, these days, right? Whether it be bunch formations or passing off receivers in coverage or whether that be, you know, guys with the wrong leverage so they can't defend inside breaking routes. You know, Coach Aquina at times <laughs> during the games, he wouldn't even say anything um, on the bench while we were discussing the adjustment and what we needed to do. He would almost wait for us to work it out and <laughs> just kind of listen to us work it out. Hey, man, that our, our leverage was off. What happened here? Well, my leverage is off. I thought I had – inside help and I didn't. Well, you didn't have inside help because it was a three-by-one set. Oh, three-by-one set. You didn't hear the trips call? Oh, no, you didn't relay the trips call. Oh, I got it. Okay, now you got to relay the trips call. That way I know it's three-by-one set. That way I know I'm in man coverage. He said, I need to be inside leverage. You know, all these little things that we figured yeah. out and coach, he would sit there and he'd go, y'all got it. I'm like, yeah, we got it. Got it? Got it. So, you know, and I don't, I'm sure they're, every, every football uh, team is doing these types of things, but I do remember that, you know, explicitly. I remember the detail of him waiting for us to work it out. And almost with a, like a proud papa look on his face when we did. <laughs> That's exactly what I would have suggested y'all do. Okay, good. I don't need to yell at anybody. Y'all don't even really need me. I just want to make sure everybody's good. And he would, and that I think was part of his mission as a coach. He wanted, us to be able to as become football theorists, students of the game, to understand why we're doing something and maybe they talk our way through it. And yeah, I mean, in the defensive backfield, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, right, that Belichick's, you know, a defensive back coach mm -hmm. uh, at his, you know, his core. And saving so Carroll. So it's saving, exactly, right? Some of your goats. I don't think it's a coincidence. If you really dive into the defensive back play in the in the DB position, and whether it be a corner or a safety or a nickel, you really can. If you go deep deep enough down a rabbit hole, there really isn't a a part of football or any you know element of football that you won't tap into, that you won't have to educate yourself on. The passing game, you'll get to the pressure packages, which will take you to line play. Um, and as a, if you're really into it. You mm -hmm. can, like I said, it, you can tap into a lot of different areas and educate yourself um, about the game. And as my man, uh, you know, uh, Jeff just mentioned, yeah, I mean, it's like an education uh, of it. And I think that's why the defensive back, it can do that because of your perspective you have. You do have a great perspective as a DB um, in terms of how the game comes together and all the different phases and elements and levels come together. Yeah, and since uh, Richard Sherman's retired, I've seen him on Twitter sort of go back and forth with some former players sort of explaining that same thing, you know, yeah. uh, add the complexity that comes with being a defensive back, and it's not an insult to other positions on the field. No, it's just explaining what y'all have to do in context to what's on the field compared to everything else involved with the offense, which is very unique. Nobody else on the football field does those things in – you brought up a quote uh, sort of from Shanahan, and this is one that I always had seen when he go to his Wikipedia page at the very top. It's the only quote from Shano, and it's from 2006, but it's him saying, and this is very fitting considering we've came off of the talk about, you know, script plays and, you know, Sark going into it with his X's and O's play, but sometimes how that can sort of leave you vulnerable if you aren't dealing with the issues that the other team's posing in Shano's quote is, I studied every potential X's and O's play and issue possible, not just play, but issue possible quote. I spent my whole life working on that. My goal was that any question a player could have about anything on the field, 
I'd be able to answer it. And, you know, you can just read that quote and sort of read over it. But the key part of it is just saying I studied every potential X's and O's play and issue possible. And you couldn't see anything exhibited more in his offense because every single one of his plays is then going after an issue on the defense, some vulnerability that's stacking those layers up on top of one another. And you want to be able to, if you're coaching the game, be able to be the one to give those answers to the players. Yeah. um, It's really interesting just kind of going through while you guys were talking, just going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Um, I think we know a lot of good football analysts on TV. You know, you're Joe Klatz. Some people are Tony Romo fans. Some are not. I'm an Aikman guy. A lot of the guys are quarterbacks. Yeah. But, you know, whether you're covering the draft, even Daniel Jeremiah was a college quarterback. I think he's really good at what he does as far as draft prep. Uh, Before Daniel Jeremiah, Mike Mayock was my favorite guy to listen to on draft stuff. What position did Mike Mayock play when he played ball? He was a safety. I love Charles Davis when Charles Davis is the color analyst for a game. What position Charles Davis play? Defensive back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. my, probably my favorite NFL guy right now in terms of in-studio guys is Ryan Clark. What yep. position did Ryan Clark play? He, yep. was, he was a defensive back. So, In yeah. addition to that, Darius Butler, who's up there with Sal Powell and Greg Cosell. Yeah, on his matchup. yeah yep. Darius Butler loves it. I mean, that's the sole reason I watched the Texas-Alabama and Texas OU feed. It's not for Pat McAfee. It's because Darius Butler's on the field reading yep. the coverages and telling people what's going on on every play. And if I'm not mistaken, Lewis Riddick was a safety too. Yeah, Lewis Riddick yep. was a defensive Lewis, back. He yeah. was back in back – in, he played for Saban yeah. and Belichick on that Browns team. It's, it's uh, something about, I think, playing quarterback and DB. It, it, it's not just the education. I think all the guys are educated on it because I said I talked to Derek Johnson and Alex Oka for those guys. Um, but the ability to, to explain it, I don't know. It's something about DB and quarterback. The ability to be able to communicate it, I think, is something that may be more unique to DBs and QBs. I think because just me spitballing, Rod, I think because quarterbacks and defensive backs, especially safeties. Now, I'm not taking anything away from you. You're the, you're Rod, you've forgotten more football than I know. But I think for safe guys that play safety specifically and quarterbacks, I think because you have to see the whole picture every play and have to be able to kind of problem solve and break down every play through a, a big picture kind of wide lens, uh, I think that just helps you, the guys that can do it at higher levels, I think it, you almost have to have a better understanding of how all of football works. I agree. It's a good point. That's fair. Uh, and I think even for you playing corner, because you, you played nickel, you played corner, like you're you're getting enough, and I know you're well-versed in terms of, you know, playing man, playing zone, just understanding route concepts, being able to read the quarter, being able to read the quarterback, understanding you have to understand how the quarterback sees it sometimes. So I, I think defensive backs, period, you're, you're seeing the whole picture. I think for guys, especially line of scrimmage guys, I think that's harder to to translate because it's a part of the game where there's so much happening right in front of you that if if you for those positions if you take too much of a big picture view that hinders you from doing your job. Good point. So it's re- it's really interesting. Like the interior defensive lineman, offensive lineman, you almost have to be so you know hyper focused on one thing, so specific on one thing, whereas defensive backs and quarterbacks i think you guys can branch out like i said and get the whole picture that helps you do your job if you're trying to get the whole picture as an offensive guard you you're you're pretty much screwed because you're gonna forget what you have to do if you're worrying about all right we're in a three by one set and who's the primary read for the quarterback is it number one or number three like you can't worry about that stuff yeah no it's a good point because when you're at the, the you're on the line of scrimmage and the closer you are to it everything's happened so fast you literally yeah. have a millisecond um, you know, I can remember times in the secondary, you know, playing deep at a certain position, whether it be nickel or ended up corner playing off in a deep zone where it, you can see things develop in front of you. You can actually watch the play yeah. <laughs> and watch in there, you know, two to two and a half, three seconds. And you can get you can actually see the route combination evolve. You can mm-hmm. see, oh, man, this is about to be a, a smash route or this is about to be a you know a, a, a double post whatever it's going to be and you can watch the quarterback doing a three snap read 
watch him play action, fake it, go from that to go back to snap it back to your number two key uh, at the number two receiver. Watch the number two receiver go vertical. Think to yourself, oh, number two is going vertical. Check back to number one and do all that in three seconds. And you're right. That gives you just a different perspective um, on football when that is your, you know, that play after play, that's your rep. As opposed to when you're playing on a line, your rep is within a half a second or, a, 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 you know, two-fifths of a second, boom, you are already smashed against yeah. another human being. There ain't no time for nuance. Ain't no time <laughs> for a strategy. There is no time to uh, be a football investigator and dissect and decipher clues. Just just fight. Fight like a mofo. So you're right. It's different. And, boy, yep. entrench play, entrench play, Rod, guessing is – Guessing is a dicey game, man, because you can if you have to guess and you guess wrong, it's your mistake is gonna blow the entire play up. Yeah. No, you're right. Yep. And being that back end of the defense and being able to see it all, it's the same thing when you're watching a basketball game. It's like not every center is a great rim defender, but they're the voice that's aligning everybody because they can see the whole play coming at them because they're the last line of defense. And that's where you hear about the communication and all those things where that's their job to keep the continuity of the defense, sort of like the spinal cord and then the central nervous system of the defense that you talk about in football. You know, it's really weird, Rod, you know, my formative years in football watching film uh, and not just like my high school film, but I would, we, you know, the high school coaches, even then you could get different high school films. You get some college films. I was kind of trained to watch line of scrimmage. So even now when I watch games, like that's why sometimes if, if anybody ever like watches me do it, follows me doing a game blog, like I'll forget, like I'll, I'll pay attention. I won't pay attention like how a route developed or who had the coverage because I'm watching the line of scrimmage. Like I watch, I watch trench play and then kind of try to branch out from there. Like more often than not, I'll have to see a replay to see how a run broke or how a route came open because I'm watching, I'll be watching that left tackle or I'm, I'm the weirdo in the press box. Like, Oh man, watch this play by watch this pull by Hayden Connor right here. Watch this skip pull. Everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, yeah. I'm like Oh yeah, I see it. I'm like, yeah, I saw that. Forget Jonathan Brooks running the end zone or whatever. That skip pull made that happen. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just a weirdo like that. No, I'm really, that's the good point. You watch what you played, right? Yeah. Your yeah, nature. It's all, it's, it's hard to break that habit when you're trained to do something. And even like, I don't know, I'm so weird like that. Like when I go to clinics, like when I go to coaching school, like I'll seek out O-line lectures, like a high school coach or a college coach lecturing on the offensive line. Cause I just want to learn stuff. And, you know, like for, I don't, I don't give a rat's ass about Sark's progression passing game. I want to hear about Kyle Flood talk about O line play. That's where I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Football uh, porn. Yeah, for me, it really there is uh there is nothing Rod that probably stirs my football loins better than a a well executed uh either a well executed counter or a well executed inside zone and a running back reads it correctly. Yeah, like, and see it from the all twenty two. Oh you know. man, it's, it's <laughs> a, so. It, it hits your. I it guess it's your, a sad day when Jason Kelsey is retiring in your football world. Yeah, it, it oh, really oh, is, man. Like some people are like, point. "Oh man, Tom Brady retired." I'm like, "Dude, Jason, Jason Kelsey. I mean, Jason Kelsey is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's only yes. three oh, other valid. three other centers that have been six time All Pros, and the other three are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Jason Kelsey's Jason Kelsey's going in on the first ballot. So yeah, it's it's fun as hell to to watch him. That's why, like, as a Cowboys fan, like. I'm probably less mm-hmm. critical of Dak Prescott and I'm more critical of like, and just keeping an eye on Tyron Smith and Zach Martin or, you know, the, the fact that the Cowboys keep thinking they can just keep getting defensive tackles off the scrap heap and that's going to work. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just all about how you view it. So uh, it's good to get in some football theory talk, but we are, we're out of time. We got to go. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about portal moves and, and roster management and start, I'm looking ahead to spring ball uh, starting next week. So maybe we've got uh, some coaching moves to talk about. Uh, Maybe Bo Davis's replacement. Is Johnny playing? Do we have a new defensive backs analyst coming to Texas? Still a lot to be determined. So stay locked in with with me at Horns 24-7. I'm doing my thing with Texas Sports Unfiltered. Again, Rod is on the Horn 6-11 every weekday. He's also on the On Texas Texas Football YouTube feed and the – Occasionally on the Third and Longhorns podcast, uh, yes, sir, the YouTube feed, and each and every week we're both doing it here on Longhorn Blitz. But that's going to do it for this week's show, Matt. Thanks for everything. 
You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports and Horns 24-7, the Horns 24-7 podcast feed. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button whenever you find the feed, and you'll get each and every episode of Longhorn Blitz whenever it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? New NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.